Welcome, folks, to another edition of Smith & Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. And, well, for folks that are listening a few days from now, maybe some of this will be a little bit dated, but, hey, we're dealing with the NBA draft right now, coming in less than an hour. Uh, lives, careers are going to be changed for so many young men, and uh, both pro and con. Maybe somebody doesn't hear their name tonight, and then they've got to scramble. They've got to bet on themselves. They've got to enter free agency. They, they've they've got to go play overseas, whatever it may be. For others, it's the uh, dream of a lifetime and a chance to become a professional athlete. And again, those dreams start becoming true in less than an hour. We will talk quite heavily about the NBA draft tonight, and we're going to come back with a second edition of the show uh, in the next 24, 48 hours. So lots of fresh content on the Smith & Jones show and podcast. Of course, you are subscribed to the podcast feed, or at least you better be wherever you get your podcasts, Google, Apple, Spotify, or otherwise. Download, subscribe, rate, review, and share. And a man that you have heard throughout the season on our show many times. He's been a friend of the show for years. Former Toronto Raptor player, of course, but he's been a coach. He's been in the front office. He's now a fellow broadcaster with us as well. Villanova product, Alvin Williams. Al, I feel like I've probably asked you this before, but you know what? I'm going to ask you anyways. And in fact, when we have you on next year, I'm going to ask the same question again as well because it's, it's like every year. I want, I want to refresh, I want to, uh, especially for the audience out there. Take me back to your draft night, your draft day even, the nerves, the family, the friends, the suit, the working on your smile in a mirror, whatever it was, the, the, the hours and the moments leading up to draft night and then when everything was finally said and done and the dust settled, whether it be that night or the next morning when you could finally breathe again. Well, no, no suits. I didn't, I didn't have any suits. I was, wasn't projected to be in that first round. So, I, you know, I, I thought better of the decision and, and not embarrass myself and try to go to the draft or whatever the case may be or have a lot of – people over i actually played in the summer league basketball game and uh being heckled by some of the philly fans saying that uh, i wasn't gonna get drafted sham god god sham god was better than me and he was going to go before me and he actually did he went to washington in 46 and then i uh i went home with my family i had i had a couple friends over um and just waited and it was a long long wait a lot of tears my buddy Catino mobley was over there he was crying my classmate, roommate, and he was drafted by uh, Orlando Magic, actually Denver, Jason Lawson. So we were over there. So it was it was a lot of tears. But once the name got called, which I didn't even hear my name get called, my sister told me, and you know it was a relief. And then it's you know it starts all over again because you you really have you have to go and make the team now, being second a second round pick. So it was a dream come true. But there there was a lot. It wasn't the get the suit, hang out in New York, get your name called, and go wherever you go after that. It wasn't, it wasn't that type of experience for me. Well, uh, it's, it's certainly changed, Al. The whole thing has evolved. I mean, just kind of relating the feelings from what you were feeling, what do you think is going through the minds of some of these kids, especially ones that, you know, like that are high, project, projected top ten, and we know after number one, that's where the draft starts because nobody knows really what's happening in number two, uh, you know, whether it's going to be Miller or Henderson or, or who knows. What are, what are the feelings like for those kids? I mean, you had some of them. Can you, can you project some of that for us? 
man, I'm sure it's excitement. I'm sure there's anxiety, nervousness. Um, but, you know, today and once again, the generation is so different. You know, I, I grew up in a generation where, you know, you were told you weren't going to the NBA. You weren't going to get drafted. You're, you're a fool if you if you think you're going to be one out of the two billion kids that or people that want to get drafted. Now, today's, today's generation, they're brought up different, right? They're brought up in a situation where this expectation is there. They've been treated a certain way. They, they've more in tune with the business of sports. College is turning into the new wave NBA, and, and the high school and youth sports is turning into the new wave college. Kids are getting recruited. Kids are being sought out after at an early age. So the kids come up different. So I don't know if that, that expectation is a little is, – is higher um, than, than mine was. Like I said, we, we, were, we were told – you know, you better you better have a, a plan B because plan A, if the NBA is not going to is not going to be in your favor. So, I, although they have that thought, I'm sure they're still excited. I'm still I'm sure it's a dream come true, and they're going to be faced with the reality of pro sports really soon when they get that name called and and it's time to go to work. But there's so many media outlets. There's so many things where things have just changed and how much information to the point of us not knowing what's going on because so many strategies and I know these GMs and these front offices, they have their allies and their sources to put certain information out there to try to distract what the real thing is. So it's very tricky out there now, but the kids, I'm sure they're really, or the young men, they're really excited, but it's definitely different. The expectation level I'm sure is uh, is a lot higher than ours were. So uh, let, me, let me tie in the last two questions, but, but even kind of tweak it in a different way then. When I was talking to you about the suit, um, obviously I knew you were a second-round pick, but I didn't know if you had like a little private event or something that you were dressed up for, friends and family coming to. So you've got these kids that are going to the draft room. You've got these other kids that are having these private events. They know that maybe they're going to be a second-round, or at least they're hoping to be a second-round, but yet they're still trying to shine the spotlight on. But then maybe the spotlight doesn't come. They don't get selected. But as you just said, there are so many opportunities now that I got to imagine it's still a kick in the teeth if you don't ultimately hear your name in one of those 60 picks. But with the options, as you talk about now, available more so than ever before to play professionally in how many countries around the world and to still have a career. And then I would say, maybe I'm wrong in this, the way that the NBA has evolved and continued to evolve over the years in terms of their acceptance and their openness to looking at other leagues around the world and and bringing players from overseas or like I mean we're talking about a guy from the that 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 opted to not go college go straight G League being a top 2 top 3 pick in this draft so even just the minds of the NBA presidents and general managers that have had to think outside the box that still provides the opportunity to the kid that maybe still doesn't hear his name ultimately announced at any point tonight or in the middle of a taco bell commercial (laughs) yeah and that's that's the best thing that's the beauty about it because your dream isn't over if it doesn't get called right i've seen guys they've had those private events they've had those um small parties or bigger parties in their homes or or you know clubs or whatever and name not get called i've seen guys that had cars and you know from agents before the draft had to, had to return those cars, right, when their name didn't get called because the idea of not getting your name called, which is a dream, you know, you dream about 
getting your name called. You dream about walking up on that stage. And at that time, it was David Stern shaking his hand and getting the hat and doing the interview and your family. Like, you dream about those things. But when it doesn't happen, now you have to start over again and say, what's the next plan? So nowadays, it's it's much better because you do have a lot of outlets. You do have a lot of other opportunities, whether it's the G League, international. And 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 a great thing about the international play now is, you're not out of sight, out of mind. Back then, when I was playing, you know, if if you had to go overseas, or at that time it was the CBA, it was pretty much you were out of sight, out of mind. You, you, it was a slim chance of you getting back, back in that NBA conversation. Where it's not the same now. You know, you can go internationally and get a lot of, you know, uh, experience. You can get paid. You can get opportunities and still be seen, and you can bring a value to the game because. The, NBA game is played internationally a lot. A lot of the styles, is, you know, it comes from that international play. So it's a beautiful thing. It's great opportunities for the kids or the young men, as I keep saying kids, but the young men that is not over if you don't get your name called. And it's just a different route, a part of your journey. Al, to that end, um, years and years ago, the NBA went from a 10-round draft to a two-round draft. And in that in that same vein as you're talking about, how advantageous is it to not get drafted in the, I don't know, the sixth round by a team that you have no shot of making as opposed to, well, there's two rounds. I didn't get drafted. I think I'm good enough. As you said, you can play overseas or, you know, a, a guy like Fred Van Vliet finds the Raptors, find him. He finds them. And. You know, the, the rest is history. How how much of an advantage was it? Because I know people probably wanted to keep the draft going, but this I, I, part of me says this almost works out better for a player if you're not drafted in the first couple of rounds. You can almost pick your spot. Yep, yep, no, and, that, and that's it, right? Like, you, you, I was fortunate enough being drafted by Portland 48th, and Mike, Coach Mike Dunleavy was there, and they really actually had an interest in me. And, you know, talking to them, you know, after, years after, they, they said that they were trying to move up to get me, but they actually really wanted me. And it wasn't just a pick just to take the pick. But to your point, Jonesy, if you don't get drafted in that first round and, and you don't get drafted in that second round, now you can, which, along with your agent, do your homework and find out what's the best place for you. If it's a, if it's a roster that, you know, it's a full roster and they don't have any room for any signings or anything, and that's not the best place for you. But if you have a roster that has signings and there may not be that position for you, you can really evaluate and see what the best opportunity for you is. And we see today's NBA. Being undrafted is really advantageous, right? It's, it's, just, it's just one of those things where you will get an opportunity. You can learn and develop and be part of the system in the G League and get these opportunities. It's not just about, you know, getting your name called. Once again, that's just a dream. That's just a part of this this process of getting to the NBA or the pros. But if you don't, a lot of people are showing you. You watch these finals. You watch this postseason this year. We talked about Fred Van Vliet. A lot of undrafted players are getting these opportunities. It's working out for the teams from a paid, from a financial standpoint, and it's working out for the players to get their development on and, and keep improving and, and get their opportunity. And once you get those opportunities, I don't care if your name's called or is not, if you're ready for that opportunity to take advantage of it, 
you can make the most out of it. Speaking with Alvin Williams, Al, we've been talking to you a lot, obviously, about your experience as a player, your expertise as a player, but you've been there in management, too, as uh, director of player development. You've been in the war room. Maybe walk us through what it's like. You know, I, I think in today's day and age, we've been privy to things like Open Gym and other little documentaries and docu-series where we kind of get, you know, allowed behind the velvet curtains a little bit, behind the ropes to see what goes on. But having been there firsthand, what's it like sitting there leading up to the pick, wherever the pick is, whatever number it is, when it's really time to make that decision and everybody's kind of barking out their, their, their opinions at the last second and you're trying to come to a collaborative decision to ultimately select player X and then be comfortable and excited about that decision that's been made. No, it's exciting. That, that was the best part of, you know, my opportunities to be in the, in the war room and, you know, with the Toronto Raptors. And I remember it's emotional. I was young, right? So i tell you a story. I, I, I start, you know, we had software where you had to log in your comments and what you thought about certain players and the software that the Raptors were using. I guess they've been using it forever. And I remember tapping back in, looking up my name and seeing what some of the comments were about me. And they weren't great comments. And some of the damn scouts were still on the team. So I'm looking. At, I'm sitting next to the scouts who were grinding me up ten years prior about my draft. So I'm like, man, they don't know what the hell they're talking about. But I keep that between us. But it, it's, it's something where I was so young. I was just excited to be there. Like I said, I was putting myself in you know those guys' shoes. But I'm also thinking about myself being drafted and what I'm thinking about. But there's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of homework. There's a lot of, you know, you, you got you to gotta do your homework. You got to do your preparation. You got because although there's so much there to put into detail, you still got to be lucky to make that right pick because there's so many things that come in with that. I remember when Steph Curry, you know, people were doubting Steph Curry, and then you took the Knicks. The Knicks took uh, the big kid from Arizona. I forgot, I forgot his name, you know, but – and Steph Curry, you know, you thought he was going to go – after that, and, you know, DeMar and all of these things. And, and you just – you don't know everything, but you try to put everything together to make the best and most informed decision, but you still have to be lucky. And I, I remember also bumping into Brian Colangelo after one of our meetings, and he grabbed me, he looked at me, he was like, what's wrong? And I was like, I just – you know, some of the things that's being said and some of the things that, you know, how we're going about it, I just don't get it. He's like, man, you can't put too much emotion in it. And you have to be lucky. It's not, it's not one way to do it. So he was giving me a lot of jewels, but there's a lot to go on. But emotionally, there's that. But people are really doing their homework, a lot of deep conversations, tough conversations. Sometimes the, the focus goes away from other things and it comes back. But it's, it's a good time because you're making an important decision and everyone is invested. And you were talking about Jordan Al. Hill. Just to quickly yeah. jump in there, Jones. It was Jordan Hill that Jordan you were talking Hill. about with, Jordan the, Hill. with the Knicks. He yeah. went to the Go Knicks, ahead. right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, right, out, right after yeah. Steph. Yeah, but it was Johnny Flynn that went before Curry uh, to Minnesota. And, and Rubio. Ru- well, yeah, they, Rubio as well. And Ricky yep. Rubio. Dave, yep. David Kahn, the GM in Minnesota, passed not once but twice on Steph Curry. And uh, it's one of those, Al, I think it's one of those, well, if you draft this guy, you might get fired. But if you don't draft this guy, you're definitely going to get fired. I think that's what happened to David, to David Codd in Minnesota. But, Al, to that end, um, 
And, and I always joke about this. If you want loyalty in the NBA, buy a dog because it's, <laughs> it's just the business side, as you've said before, is so prevalent. Is that the reason? How much do you think that is the reason why a GM drafts a guy and won't let go? Like, just give it time. Give it time. He's willing to hang with a guy and, and, and go, to the, go to the wall and go to the edge for this guy because he just thinks it's going to happen. And if he does let him go and it happens somewhere else, he's the first guy to say, I told you, I knew that, I saw that. No, I mean that's huge. That's a big part. And once again, it's that emotion. When when you have, when you sit down and you have your meetings and you have your, your you know your your visits and the, the pre-draft workouts and those individual workouts and you get to you get to know the person. You sit there and you talk. And sometimes it just it just grabs you. You know, some of the guys that come, they grab you and, and, and you like them. You really you really like them. And sometimes it's not about the best fit for the team. It's about you know they really. They really, they really won you over. And when you make that decision, and you make that decision, sometimes you sacrifice. Sometimes you have those conversations with the board or the ownership, and you're selling it. You can't give up so quickly. You know what I mean, you can't give up so quickly. But you know, th- those are the decisions that you have to make because once again, it's all about the organization. You got to remove yourself. You got to remove your feelings. It's about the organization. And I think as soon as people really realize that. And me, myself, I had to realize that. I was just coming off, you know, not just playing, but just being in the mix with younger players and players. And it wasn't about my relationship with those players. It was about the organization. And Mr. Embry told me that. He told me that it's about the organization. Even when I had my position as a player development coach and then being a part of being a director of development, player development, it's about the organization. It's not about you and your relationship with individuals. It's about what can you give the organization. So I think that's the biggest piece that everyone has to understand. So, Al, let me use that as a, as a segue to, to maybe talk about current day roster, guys that are already here or, well, maybe not for long. How difficult is the decision from a, from a personal standpoint let alone from a business standpoint, let alone just from a basketball standpoint, when we talk about Fred Van Vliet, who, no surprise, opted out, unrestricted free agent, Raptors going into draft night, not knowing if, come a week from now, their starting point guard is maybe somewhere else or ultimately re-signing with Toronto. Like, how difficult is this process, do you think, for Masai and Bobby and the rest of the management team? Oh, it has to be difficult. Not only you have a great player, you have that story. And you have yeah. – and one thing about Toronto to me is so unique that it's just not – once again, you're not just playing for a city. It's a story developed with the country. It's a story developed with the organization, the franchise. And historically, you know, people haven't always wanted to play in Toronto. Free agents haven't always, you know, been attracted to Toronto. We've had that. We've heard that narrative. We've heard the story – but it's a reality. So when you do have someone, you have to really take that in consideration. When you have a Fred Van Vliet, and I'm always the king, what can you do better? What are your options? What is everything else? But a Fred Van Vliet, he brings so much more than just a great player. I think he brings stability. I think he brings that story. But I think he brings leadership. I think he brings that type of person you want involved in your organization. So it's not, once again, just about 
the NBA. I mean, the playing. It's about everything that Fred brings. And then when I bring other players, when I bring younger players, when I have my draft, he's a guy that can mentor. And I'm not saying that's going to be his sole role, but he's a guy that can mentor. He's a guy that people can come in and follow the story, follow the work ethic, follow the language, and just see how he's respected. And it's much more value sometimes than it is actually just playing when you're developing younger guys and you're developing people around them. So it's a very tough decision. But once again, it's also business. So how do you conduct that business? And what are your reasons to make decisions that you're going to ultimately be faced with? Al, what does it say? You know, you talked about Toronto and sometimes people being a little bit skeptical about about playing in Toronto. What does it say that Gary Trent Jr. has opted in? Everybody talks about opting out and getting more money in a longer term. But this guy said, no, I'm coming back to Toronto. It, it, it says a lot, you know. And But, you know, it, it's not the first time. Like, people have opted in. I mean, I remember Vince Carter, you know, signing extensions, Chris Bosh. And, and everyone hasn't didn't just leave after their first, you know, their contract. And, you know, a lot of people, they, they get the Toronto. They see the love. They see the excitement. They see the progress. They see the potential, and they want to stay. So Gary Trent Jr., to me, he's a product of a great stock family. He's he's very, very solid. He's a solid guy, and he has a foundation. And he doesn't seem influenced. He doesn't seem like he's looking at everything else on the outside to make his decision. Seems like he's doing what he's doing for himself, and he's moving forward. I think he's seen the progress and the success that he's had individually, the improvement. And I just, I, just, I just see that as being the type of person he is. And when we look at his game and we look at everything that comes his way, whether he got benched, whether he didn't start, whether he started, he was always consistent. Always, his demeanor, facial expressions, the way he played, always consistent. And I think you're just seeing another example of it, you know, him opting in, him understanding he's still a very young player. He can continue to improve. And then the following year, it's the sky is going to be the limit for him because I know he's going to get better. I know he's going to perform at a high level. Al, do you think part of the decision for Trent as well, and this is just my own theory, reading tea leaves that might not be there, um, an opportunity with a new coach, with a team that may or may not be pivoting, but an opportunity to play a bit more of a role, to have more of a spotlight, to then – pardon the, 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 you know, the cliched line from Fred Van Vliet, to bet on himself. I could enter free agency right now and make X, but if I come back, that's still just shy of $19 million per year, which is nothing to sneeze at. I go out and I perform. I have a hell of a year. I probably have an opportunity to be in that spot a little bit, little bit more, and then the chance to make more money exists next year as opposed to this year. Yeah, I mean – he definitely – I see him as a guy that's going to bet on himself. But I also see him as a guy and, – and, I mean, I could be wrong. Sometimes money isn't everything. Sometimes it's your best opportunity to play, to play at a high level. And a lot of times we get lost with the narrative of the contracts and how much players are making per year and all that stuff. But I'm telling you, at, at the end of the day, you're going to make money. You're going to have an opportunity. I see – I see – uh, Gary Trent Jr. as a young player who's developing, who continues to get better year after year, and his opportunity is going to come. And I just see, I just see that. And the money will take care of itself. It's, like you said, 
19 or 18 million that he's that he's opted into. That's nothing to sneeze at. So if you can play, continue to get better. Maybe you had a conversation with the coach. Maybe you had a relationship with the coach, and you already know him. Whatever is there that's making him feel comfortable enough and confident enough to stay where he is and and deal with it later is, is something. But once again, I see him as being a solid guy, a solid young man, and maybe the finances is not the end-all, be-all. Sometimes it's the best thing. I never, And I talk back about myself. When I first signed my, my longer contract, most money I ever had in my life, but it was the most unhappy I was. So it's one of those type of things where the finances is not always going to make that decision or make someone jump at something that, that they may not be ready for. Uh, Al, last one for you here, just as we continue to kind of check the list of the uh, Raptors off season thus far, which I'm sure is going to get a whole lot busier in the next uh, 7, 10, 14 days. Um, we didn't get a chance to talk to you since the uh, the news of uh, the new head coach. Um, both Jonesy and I discussed it on the show last week. Outside of some conversations we've had around the league, we don't know the man personally, but do you have any thoughts, good, bad, or otherwise, on, on uh, Darko Ryakovich and, and the direction the Raptors now go in the post-Nick Nurse era? Yeah, so I, you know, it's funny. I just got a chance to uh... – Talked to Randy Foy, former Villanova player, played in the league, and he actually was coached, um, coached by Darko, and from OKC so his years at OKC. So he sent, I mean, he spoke very highly of him. The one thing I got from it, and even hearing from Darko's interview, um, he's a player guy. He he really has an interest in the players, and not just from their performance on the court, off the court. And things like that. And when you come from a place where you're a player development guy, you're an assistant coach, and you, you coach on different levels, that's that's kind of normal. That's something that comes with it. The challenge that I've always seen with coaches is when they get that head coaching job, sometimes that goes, you know, it's not the main focus. You have so many other things that you have to focus on, right? But just hearing him say that and then talking to Randy Foy about it, it was all consistent with his interviews. I love it. I love it being a former player. I love it being in the stage of my life where I know how important and influential coaches are and not just from X's and O's standpoint, just being there as a leader, being there as somebody that can help you progress in life. So I just love that fact that he brings to that, and I think that's what the Raptors are needed. I think they need that. I think Masai and the rest of the management sort of value in that and that attitude and that approach, and that's something that's huge. So I'm excited to see how it really reflects on the team I know it's going to take time, but um, it's something that, that's enjoyable, and, and it, felt, it felt good hearing him say that. See, Al, I, I, I'm going to ask this question on behalf of both Jonesy and I to try and feed our egos a little bit, but I feel like I already know the answer, so now the ego is going to take a hit. You said you talked to Randy Foy. I, I assume he didn't mention then that he talked to your two boys, E and Jonesy, on the show last week. We had Villanova represented. We talked to Randy Foy about you and about Nova on the show last week, and he didn't bring that up? He didn't bring it up at all, man. And I just talked to Randy. He, he didn't bring that up at all, man. Damn. You know, I, I'm, I'm still a little disturbed, but I can't be too disturbed because I, heard, I saw something where Kyle Lowry named the top five uh, uh, Villanova players of all time, but Kyle's not qualified enough. <laughs> to have that give get to that opinion or that decision or whatever. Like, he can't be – he's nowhere near the top five at all. He put himself in there. He didn't put Jalen Brunson – and he forgot – he didn't say Kerry Kittle. Like, that's, that's why he's wow. not qualified. And I'm starting to question 
his his whole makeup as of now. And I can't wait to see him this summer. Hey man, I'm I'm going even further back. I'm I'm going back to 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 Harold Jensen. I'm going back to Eddie Pinkney. I'm going back to John Pannone. Like I'm I'm going I'm digging way I'm deep. Howard, Howard, Howard I'm going way deep. Howard Porter. Anyway. Anyway, I, I I no, that's that's another show right there. That's yep, another, another show. That's and that show takes place in a bar. That, that, <laughs> no, or sure. in a barber shop. Yeah, no, for in sure. a barber like shop. Al, I got one more for you. Sure, sure. I got one more for you. You know Philadelphia, you know Nick Nurse. How do you think Nick Nurse fares in Philadelphia? Um, I know he's connected to Daryl Morey, but, you know, players, uh, he's coached against those guys for a long time. Uh, you know, there's a, a different kind of fan base in Philly. Give me, give me your expectations around Nick and Philadelphia this year. Well, just make sure he put his hard hat on every day. When he not just in that building, outside of the building, because if he's losing, somebody might throw something at him. But keep that hard hat on. But I, I mean, I, be, I believe he's going to do well. I, I mean, it's all about what those players. You know, I mean, you have a Joel Embiid, and we know this is a players' league. And I don't care who, what coach you are, unless you're a Popovich or you're a Spolstra now, you know, like these players are running the league. But I do believe he'll have the opportunity to connect with Joel Embiid and get the most out of him. But the Sixers are still, they're, they're lacking depth. They still have to figure out this James Harden thing. But I do believe what he will bring, he will bring preparation. And he'll bring something that the Sixers – and I won't say they, they haven't had, but they are looking for it. They're looking for it. And I, I've never been around Doc Rivers as a coach. I've never been around. But um, I think that's that's something that he's going to bring. And I think the players are going to believe in it. The players are going to see it. If there is a big difference between the coaching styles, then they'll witness it right away. And then you'll you'll see the response. You'll see the response. But I, I believe he'll he'll give himself a very good chance to be successful. But at the end of, end of the day, it's about what Joel Embiid's going to do and what they're going to do with the James Harden situation and what other players they could bring in because the team is lacking a bit from depth. Al, we appreciate the time as always, man. Uh, enjoy the summer. Hopefully we're talking soon, and uh, let's see how things play out tonight. All the best, man. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. That was our friend, our colleague, Alvin Williams from SportsCenter, of course, former Toronto Raptor coach, player, and management coach. Uh, management type i don't know i don't know what word i'm looking for right there but of course he's done it all for the toronto raptors we always love chatting with alvin williams when we come back we will talk about one major deal that came down uh in the last 24 hours or so and we will also look further ahead to the draft that are now ticking away here less than 30 minutes until the nba draft wes brown uh scout will join us when we continue on smith and jones Welcome back to Smith & Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcasts, Google, Apple, Spotify, or otherwise. Again, download, subscribe, rate, review, and share. We're going to chat with Wes Brown in just a couple of moments, get his perspective as a scout on what he thinks might go down here when the draft begins in about 20, 25 minutes, and also some Canadians to keep an eye on. But, Jonesy, there was a major, well, I think we can call it blockbuster, uh, within the last 24 hours or so on Wednesday evening. We thought that it was originally supposed to be 
the Celtics, the Wizards, and the Clippers. Then things went sideways from a Clips perspective. And in the wee hours, just before midnight on Wednesday, the deal ultimately did go through, but now it was the Grizzlies with Washington, Boston, and Memphis, which ultimately lands Kristaps Porzingis in Boston in addition to two first-round picks, but Boston had to give up some pieces in that. Marcus Smart ends up in Memphis. Mike Muscala and Danilo Gallinari end up in Washington, and Washington gets Tyus Jones from the Grizzlies. When the dust settles on all this, I know the Grizz get a Defensive Player of the Year winner in Marcus Smart, a guy who seems to fit their culture and their system quite well. But Jonesy, Boston walking away from this, giving up an injured plague Danilo Gallinari, a kind of eh, secondary piece, second-unit guy in Mascala, and Marcus Smart, but they get back Porzingis and two first-round picks? Like, I think Boston is the hands-down winner in this, but am I am I wrong for thinking that? No, it looks good for them right now. But, you know, the, the other thing too, Eric, is probably need. Uh, yeah, you know, you made a great point with Marcus Smart probably fitting the style in Memphis, but what else do they need there? They need a veteran leader, right? They need a veteran voice who can also play. Nobody's going to listen to an old vet, unless you're in Miami, nobody's listening to an old vet that doesn't play. And Marcus Smart still has game, can still play, um, and, he, and he fits their style and their, the, you know, their, their culture, their you know, grinding, hard-nosed culture in a sense. But he's a veteran, and he's been to the finals. So when you think about projecting ahead with Ja Morant coming back after his suspension, you probably want a guy like Marcus Smart that, as a veteran, that's going to be in his ear the right way uh, to make sure that, you know, things, again, don't go south with him. So, I mean, you know, there was stuff given up, but... When you're close, you kind of trade for need and look for missing pieces. And I, I have to believe that's what was happening in Memphis. Uh, yeah. I, and, and here's the other thing, too, I will say, from Boston side of things, Porzingis they have for a year because he opted into his player option. So it could be that he just walks next year as an unrestricted free agent. So they're rolling a bit of a dice here. Um, I, I was thinking, though, from Memphis's perspective, you're without John ja Morant for 25 games. I thought that Tyus Jones would just step into that starting lineup. Boom. Now, okay, yeah, you got Marcus Smart, but you've got an older player, as good as he is, with a heftier price tag as opposed to the younger Jones. I, I, there's a lot of angles to this that I'm somewhat surprised by, and I'm also as equally surprised that ultimately the Clippers sounded like they balked at this deal. Now, if it's because of health or injury concerns with Malcolm Brogdon, that's one thing, and we're not privy to that, again, if it's health-related. But he's a guy that I thought could have fit in well with what they're doing, and the Clips Jones are now a team that I'm keeping an eye on throughout this evening because there's lots of rumblings and chatter about what they might do and if they might look to split up the Kawhi-Paul George combo and make some sort of a splash in all likelihood moving Paul George. I can't imagine they'd move Kawhi. Well, and, and, you know, there's he's a secondary player now, but there are rumbles of Chris Paul landing mm -hmm. back in L.A. with the Clippers. So, hey, man, everything's going to happen, what, about 15, 20 minutes? <laughs> we'll, a lot of stuff will become 
much clearer than, than, than we are aware of and speculating on right now. So, Jonesy, that was the news on Wednesday night, the news that's, I guess, even more recent as of today. Earlier this afternoon, Chris Paul was a Washington Wizard only on paper only, I suppose, as he has now been flipped by the Wizards to the Golden State Warriors. So now Chris Paul joining Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and, well, who else? Insert player here, Andrew Wiggins, uh, who knows? But Jordan Poole going from Washington to Golden State. And I would say this is a win-win for the Warriors in a couple of senses. Yes, they get a whole lot older, but they gain a ton of experience. That's a formidable backcourt, no doubt, uh, when you think about not just Thompson and Curry, but now add Chris Paul to the mix. But on top of all that, say what you will about Jordan Poole, whether you like him, don't like him, skilled, not skilled. I think he's a good young talent, but he also came with a pretty hefty price tag, and now Golden State gets out from underneath that. They get out from underneath the price tag, Eric. And when you look at the way he played in the playoffs, I mean, he was, he was great the year before, and that's what got him the deal. I didn't think he was as solid. Uh, I didn't think his decision-making was as good. And I wonder if Golden State said, oh, boy, I think we might have jumped the gun here. And, you know, they do get a guy in Chris Paul that fits in the championship window with Steph, with Clay, um, you know, Dare we say Draymond Green, uh, you know, they're in win-now mode, and that's exactly what Chris Paul is going to give them. Well, I suppose, as you say, does that include Draymond Green or not as well? I mean, I'll tell you, there were some people, that, and I think this is just clearly rumor mill conjecture stuff, some people wondering aloud if the Golden State Warriors might be a team that was interested in Pascal Siakam, but we're also finding out from our friend, our colleague, Chris Haynes, uh, from Bleacher Report and the NBA on TNT. He actually sent out a tweet about uh, roughly 90 minutes ago, maybe two hours ago, uh, that maybe is music to many Raptor fans' ears, I would guess. Uh, this is word for word from Chris Haynes. There's growing sentiment. Toronto star Pascal Siakam, who's on an expiring deal, would not re-sign with a team who attempts to trade for him as his preference is to remain with the Raptors. Again, that source is telling NBA and TNT and Bleach report that, according to Chris Haynes. So uh, for all the chatter, even earlier in the show, Jonesy, when we were talking about uh, players over the years that either have maybe been gun-shy about joining the Raptors or, or apprehensive about signing with the Raptors as a free agent, here's yet another franchise guy, cornerstone guy, that wants to stay here. And that's something we've talked about in the past, about the guys that get here that fall in love here. Even a guy like Vince, who was here for three quarters of a decade, or Chris Bosh, who was here for three quarters of a decade, I know you've been trumpeting it forever, is that the guys that come here, it's a much different story once they've been here and planted roots here. I, I, I you know, Eric, and we've, all, we've both talked about that. They may come kicking and screaming, and they get here, and they go, it's not bad. And Pascal's been here the whole time, uh, obviously loves it here, uh, you know, supported by the fan base loves the fan base you know he might be is he going to be one of those guys that plays his whole career in one spot who knows but i think toronto's starting to shed some of that reputation eric when you look at you know all the people that have been been through this thing in, in in 29 or 30 years well for more on the raptors and more so more on canada and canadians in tonight's draft and how the first round might play out, we are pleased to bring into the conversation right now for the first time, uh, Canadian basketball scout, and he also is the author and the publisher of the Monday Morning Scouting Report. You can check that out online or on social media as well. Wes Brown. 
Wes, we can go a couple of different angles with you. I definitely want to focus in on some of the Canadians that we might see in the first and or second round tonight as, you know, we've been talking for years now about the influx of Canadians and the talent that is out there. And I know that you're chatting with us from Quebec at the Basketball Without Borders event with a number of the Canadians in the league that are uh, taking part as instructors and ambassadors and whatnot. Um, But before we get to all that, let's focus on Canada's team and maybe just your hunch, your gut, or perhaps what you've heard from either sources or colleagues or otherwise in terms of where the Raptors might be leaning in terms of that number 13 pick or more. Yeah, I mean, I think with the 13 pick, you've heard a lot of rumblings about Kobe Bufkin. And other people have mentioned, well, they're looking for a guard. And with the amount of stuff out there, with the amount of intel I've probably heard just here and there, um, and them looking for a a talented guard that's obviously pretty close by that they could go see, um, I think that's a guy who's been a rising name, who's really intriguing. Uh, For the Raptors who need size and talent at the guard position, uh, he's a pretty high-level talent, um, has a really nice floor in that he's a two-way player, does all the things you like. And I would say the area that he maybe needs to develop the most is his shot, which the Raptors have always stressed shot development and have been able to turn around a lot of their guys. Um, I've heard whispers about moving up. I've heard other whispers about a potential second pick. But um, I think Bufkin's a really interesting guy. And I think, you know, there's other guys like Bilal Koulibaly, who's a sleeper that I really like, that's rising. I don't expect him to be there. And I think if you look at a lot of the names in that range around 13, they're a lot like Gary Trent, Jordan Hawkins, uh, Grady Dick, Keontae George, shooting scores. You know, so if, if they're really going to commit to him, why would they ever take a guy like that? Um, so I think Buskin's been a, a common name, and I think he's the guy that could really make a difference with this roster. Mm-hmm. Um, Wes, who are some of the Canadians? You know, Eric talked about the influx of Canadians into the NBA. Who are some of the Canadians that we need to be aware of that would be on the board tonight? And, you know, you, you look at a guy... I mean, you look at Indiana this year had almost had two guys in the top 10 of, of the all-rookie team, uh, Andrew Nemhard just missing. But, uh, but uh, uh, Benedict Matherin was terrific. Who are some of the Canadians we need to keep an eye out for? Yeah, so one of them was a teammate of Ben Matherin's all along at the NBA Academy uh, and for Team Quebec when I first saw him when he was about 15. Uh, winning the national championship, um, and that's Omax Prosper, uh, 6'8", small forward, kind of two-way guy. He's a name that's really been rising, um, just finished a really strong junior year at Marquette where they won a lot of games. He really fits the OG-type 3 and D mold, um, but he's a really high-motor kid, the most mature player that I've ever seen come out from a young age. He was always kind of driven to be like this. So... He's one of the top two Canadians that will be off the board and I think will be a first-round pick. Uh, and the other one is Leonard Miller. Uh, 6'10", kind of do-it-all. We'll call him power forward for now just because he doesn't have a true position. Uh, but he played for the G League Ignite. He averaged about 17-10, and 10, but since the All-Star break, especially without Scoot, he was averaging something like 22-11. and 11. Um, So he's a really intriguing, quick-twitch, long, athletic power forward that we're going to call him. But he can pass. He can play make. Uh, he actually played the guard position in high school. 
So I think a lot of people are wondering really what he is, what his floor is. And it's probably not as safe as a pick as, let's say, Omax Prosper, who's going to be able to give you two-way switchability and stuff like that. But I think he's got real star upside, um, always been able to produce. He's only been 6'10 for two years. And he's a guy, to me, it's weird he's not being talked, around, talked about in that 10 to 12 range because he can be a really, really high upside, like star level guy. So, Wes, we were talking about this a little bit earlier in the show, just briefly with Alvin Williams, um, about the opportunities that exist for players these days, seemingly more so than ever before. Not just not just if they don't get drafted to play professionally in so many different places around the world, but even before the pros, to you know, it used to be we were having conversations regularly year after year about making the jump from high school to the pros. Now it's about you know what, I'm going to opt to not go to the NCAA and I'm going to go play professionally overseas or in Australia or I'm going to play now in the G League. And here we are talking about um, Miller. We're talking about a top two, top three pick uh, as well, uh, you know, in, in, in Henderson coming from G League, not NCAA. How much has that changed, do you think, not only just the decisions, the options for the players, but for even what you do uh, when you're talking about scouting players and looking to guide individuals and, and young talent to the best decision for them for their lives, let alone for their potential careers. Yeah, I mean, it, it's all become a big money game, right? Everybody with the NIL now and all the teams like Overtime uh, and the G League Ignite coming up, it's all about money and everybody's, you know, it, it's a chance for you a year earlier to A, get paid um, and B, play against men, you know, and that's like exactly what you asked. That's a huge factor, um, deciding when you're ready to go up against that competition. And with Leonard Miller, for example, he was ready for it. I mean, he dominated high school basketball for a year, even in the States, and he's just got a special frame and body. But most guys are not going to be ready for that quick jump, you know? So it's definitely complicated things. You know, you guys maybe don't see it as much, but in my level, at the high school level, it's all about clout and all the fame and everything. So if you get your you know, your highlight tapes on overtime, that's probably worth it for you for whatever money you're going to get rather than taking the true basketball the right route, right? So it's, it's hard these days, and everybody's clawing at these kids from a very young age. So it's definitely made the decisions more difficult. For me, it's made it a lot more complex to scout everyone from every different region and angle. And, you know, it's just giving kids a lot of opportunities. But ultimately, it, it gets them paid for the money that they were already making for teams, schools, whatever it is. So that's ultimately a good thing. And I think it gets them ready a year, hopefully quicker, or, you know, it it advances them a year because they're playing against men. Um, And and that's what they're going to have to do, obviously, uh, when they're pro. Wes, this has been really controversial, and I'd like to get your opinion on it. I know how I feel, uh, and I think I'm in the minority, but your thoughts on, you know, a Leonard Miller potentially being taken right out of, Fort Erie prep and not having to go to, you know, G League Ignite or, you know, some players would go and play in Australia or Europe or something like that. Uh, Your thoughts on a a kid's readiness, as you just kind of touched on there, um, and and when they're allowed to come out and play in the NBA? Yeah, I think I think straight from high school should be allowed, but it's, it's going to depend on the situation. And, you know, Leonard's a great example. He got the feedback, and especially after he had a rough combine, he knew he wasn't going to go high, you know. And if 
he was only 6'10 for one year. If there's a guy that's, you know, developed at a more steady rate and is, is more ready and gets the information that he's, you know, he's going to be picked high, I think then he's going to go, that guy's going to go. But a lot of the time they get the feedback and they obviously have agents who are going to help them um, navigate it. I mean, I don't see no reason why they shouldn't have straight from high school. And, you know, the one thing that's kind of bothered me is isn't, aren't NBA scouts supposed to be able to tell a year in advance? You know, that's what Josh Primo was. Josh Primo was picked at 12. Josh Primo didn't prove he was a 12th pick, but Josh Primo was a great shooter who had size and could ball handle and could do everything as a guard that you figure in a year, well, this kid at 12 is a great talent. Maybe he's fifth, right? And that's what the Spurs did. And they picked him at 12 when he was nowhere in the top 20 range for the most part, right? So, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, again, I, I, I think you do anything you can to open up the doors if they're ready and to get the kids paid at a young age. Um, but I just don't think there's going to be many situations, especially for Canadians when they haven't had that, you know, level of competition that the Americans do with the amount of dogs they have there. Um, I just don't know how many guys are really going to be ready for that jump, but it's going to be based on what the NBA Intel says. Wes, maybe you've already answered this question over the last couple of minutes, uh, given how much we've, we've talked about Leonard Miller uh, and he may be the guy, but Hey, I'm going to ask the question anyway. If there's somebody that you see that is a quote-unquote surprise tonight, whether it's cracking into the top 10 that we didn't anticipate or the top 15, whether it's somebody that slides down that ends up going later that you thought should have gone higher, is there somebody that when we talk again in a year or two or three, there's going to be teams kicking themselves saying, man, oh, man, we can't believe we didn't pick this dude. Yeah, I mean, it just so happens, and I, I'm not, I swear I'm not always picking the Canadians, but – these two Canadians are really good. Leonard's going to be a great player. Like, I've seen that kid more than anyone on earth. He's going to be great, and Omax will be great. And even though Omax doesn't have that special, you know, upside everybody's looking for as a star, which he probably won't be, he's going to be a really reliable piece. And you look, the Raptors got OG at 22, and, and that was a steal. Um, the other guys, I mean, my, my sleeper picks, I would say, you know, Bilal Koulibaly is a six seven freak athlete, long arms, moves extremely well, has great instincts, natural feel for the game kind of, and kind of plays within himself and has played against men. And he's a guy I think that can be one of the top three prospects to come out of this draft that's still not being discussed in that top range. You know, maybe he goes in the 7 to 10 range or maybe a little bit later. Um, that's one guy. And another guy that I think, haven't they proven their point enough, is the Villanova guys, and that's, you know, Cam Whitmore, who sounds like he's dropping a little bit. Um, earlier on, I thought he was going to be in the mix for the fourth pick. And look, I could be totally wrong. But it sounds like he's dropping a little bit. And a, another guy like Omax, maybe he's not going to be a superstar, but he should be a great NBA player that will play both ends and help you win games. And he's a really safe pick that maybe should go above some of the other high upside, but you know, low fl or low uh, floor type guys. Um, so those are some guys that I really like. Well, Wes, it's always interesting, and there's always there's always at least one thing that happens on draft night, if not ten things that kind of send things sideways for so many teams. Uh, we appreciate this, man. All the best, and we'll look forward to talking again down the road. Yeah, thank you, guys. Have a great night. That was Canadian scout Wes Brown. Appreciate his insight. And, Jonesy, we are tick-tocking away here, like right down to the final seconds here. We're probably, what, maybe ten minutes or less away from the NBA draft starting, as I said off the top of the show. Dreams 
be coming true tonight or potentially being crushed, at least crushed for a moment. Hopefully these guys have a chance to still find their way into the league or continue on as, as pros in some capacity in some corner of the globe. But this is an exciting time, man. It's that one night every year that I look forward to, but at the same time, it's kind of changed a little bit over the years, its vibe and its feel, because so much emphasis now has been placed on the next week, the week later, and the crazy season of free agency and whatnot, that it's almost like the, the draft can kind of get glazed over at times. Yeah, and, and the draft kind of kicks that off because, you know, you can expect to see trades uh, in a little while with draft picks now that people know exactly who those picks are and what numbers they're at. So, um, yeah, it, it, look, it's, it's an exciting time in the NBA, and it's amazing how quickly the NBA pivots. The championship was just decided, and now it's in the rearview mirror. And I think I saw that four years ago, Eric, when the Raptors won. And the team, you know, you're, you're basking in the glow and there's a parade and all of that. And then all of a sudden the draft comes up and it's an afterthought. Everybody's yeah. thinking about next year and winning the next one. And it just seems so short-lived. So let's see what happens in, in a few hours after this is all said and done. All right, folks, stay tuned in. Stay dialed in, and we will keep you updated on social media, let alone on the airwaves throughout the evening and throughout the weekend as we now get set for the NBA Draft 2023. Thanks to our guests, Alvin Williams and Wes Brown, for producer Austin Mackey. For Paul Jones, I'm Eric Smith. Thanks for tuning in to the latest edition of Smith & Jones.